All right, so we're here with another episode of Dane's Platform. I'm fortunate enough to have Lucas McKay, the head throws coach at Penn State University, on the podcast today. How's it going, Lucas? Going well. Thanks for having me, Dane. So I want to jump right into this because I, I think you're almost like a, a mythical figure, at least in, in, in my mind. Um, that sounds awesome. I have horns. <laughs> and a giant Viking head. So... You know, coming out of high school, I, I want to go over your background as an athlete and, and before we really get into you as this coach. And coming out of high school, you were the, the best discus thrower in the in the country. You were a legit football player. You know, you, you go to USC to play football and to do track. Um, it doesn't work out there for whatever reason. You end up transferring to Georgia. And while you're at Georgia, you become a NCAA champ in the, in the hammer and, and, you know, pretty pretty much cement yourself as one of the best hammer throwers of, of that era in in the NCA. So like what I want to know is just walk us through those couple of years as an athlete. <clears throat> um yeah, so it was uh, football on track uh, out of high school and so those visits are kind of few and far between where you can find a good football program and a good throws coach. So I chose USC based off of their you know, storied tradition in football, um, obviously being successful under Jim McKay and everyone else. And then uh, Dan Lang was the throws coach. Dan, I got along with really well, kind of laid back Californian, a uh, good technical model. He had coached the NCAA record holder in Balazs Kiss. And so I, I didn't look much further than that. <clears throat> I took visits to a bunch of Pac-10 schools at the time, now Pac-12. And then I think I went out to the Big Ten as well. Um, and I don't think I visited the SEC out of high school, but nonetheless, uh, chose USC, went there to play football. Um, and as most, um, freshman linemen get redshirted, um, and then competed my freshman year outdoors, um, with the track team. So I believe we won a Pac-10 title my freshman year. And, uh, that was at University of Oregon. And of course the men's hammer throw was like day one, get it out of the way. Because it's so dangerous, and I think we we scored three spots, and I don't know if. Well, it's my story, so we went one, two, three. Let's, let's, <laughs> it, it may have been one, three, five, or something like that, but it, I, I believe we we swept one, two, three, and I had lifetime best and placed third, and was a true freshman. All the you know the other guys were, Dave Spitz was on the team at the time of California okay. Strength, yeah. So he was a mentor of mine, and um, <clears throat> and then we had a few. Um, um, Hungarian, uh, Eastern European throwers as well. So definitely got thrown right into like <clears throat> what throwing at the NCAA and inter international level could be right out the gate. So did um, you know coming out of high school that you wanted to, to throw hammer? Yeah. Yeah. I had thrown it a little bit. So my dad was a junior college coach, um, all of my life growing up. So my daycare was going, you know, walking down to the school and being in track practice. So I would like, you know, go to the training room and make ankle pads and, 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 and ride the golf cart around and then be at track practice and annoy everyone and play in the sand pits and just, you know, all the stuff that, you know, your, your, your kids are doing now, um, just being around. So eventually it was like, okay, I want to throw this a little bit. How do I do it? And, um, so I was a right-handed thrower. So I picked up the hammer with my right hand, swung it around my head a few times, let it go. Uh, 
unbeknownst to me that you're supposed to put it in your left hand. Um, <laughs> and so I always give my dad a hard time when he gets a little uh, like, oh, yeah, I've coached this guy and coached that guy. I'm like, yeah, you also let me throw with the wrong hand and the hammer for like two months. So <laughs> to, to, to don't, don't get too big for your britches. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it was just one of those things that was around. Um, obviously, like, hammer's not a sanctioned event in California, although it's getting closer. So we would just, my dad having some foresight would say like, okay, let's throw on Sundays, you know, like once a week just to keep in touch with it. And then the summer comes around, you hit a few open meets. So I'd say probably in high school, I probably had 10, 12, 15 meets with the hammer. So I had some exposure, uh, but I think I threw it 220, 219, 217, something like that. Oh, okay. All right. So you transfer to Georgia. Um... Yeah, so actually, I did a four-two-four transfer, so USC to Moorpark College, and that's okay. an interesting little caveat as well because, and that's where your dad coached. Right? That's where my dad was coaching, uh, junior college in Southern California Community College, and um, like the top ten list, top five list, there is sick. It's, yeah, it's like ridiculous. Kid Boy Johnson came there and joined me, uh, another uh, All SEC level um, uh, shot putter, Joe Lockridge. Uh, went to LSU out of that group. Um, there was a number of girls. Tay Battle went to Arizona State. So we, there was a squad there, too. So it was just one of those things where, like, all the in-betweeners in California, like, they didn't get a big uh, offer to USC, UCLA, you know, maybe get, like, a small offer from Northridge or something. It was like, save your tuition, go to Moore Park, learn, ball out, get a bigger offer in, you know, a year or two. So we had a really good group there. So... Uh, went there, got academic straightened out, tried to figure out if I was going to play football or track only. Um, basketball coach talked me into coming out for a season because they were short on big men. So oh, shit. I actually played basketball there for uh, a season and then uh, played one more year of football just to get it out of my system before I transferred to Georgia. Okay. So it was kind of a, uh, you know, academic, uh, you know, pursuits was, was the main focus and just trying to figure out, you know, are you going to do two sports forever? Right. Clearly, that's, you know, you got to decide at some point. I just want to decide later rather than sooner. Um, <clears throat> but never really got a good chance to play football the way that I thought that I could have. Like, instead of being a tackle, probably should have been a tight end or been a defensive end. But, you know, with the roster and things like that, it just wasn't right. Maybe I wasn't aggressive enough back then anyway. So right. it works out the way it's supposed to. Yep. So you had to, you had to Georgia from Moore Park. <clears throat> right. Walk us through you know, that. Man, that, that was transition and, and what ended up happening there at Georgia. Man, I wish that I had been on the vlogosphere, um, you know, back then and just documented everything that happened because I drive my car across the country, I get to Athens, Georgia, um, and there's nine Olympians <clears throat> in the throws training at the time when I got there. So it was leading into 04 Athens Olympics and then, you know, the four year cycle. So Adam Nelson, Reese Hoffa, <clears throat> um, Brad Snyder, who's a Canadian glider shop, um, and then his ru- his brother, Trevor Snyder, was my roommate, javelin thrower, uh, pound for pound, the strongest athlete at Georgia at the time, all sports included. Um, Jason Tunks was there, his wife at the time was there. Um, Christian Cantwell came through often, kind of like Walsh and Whiting are doing nowadays, you know, with training camps. Um, Bro Greer was there in the javelin. Mike Hazel came in the javelin. Uh, Andres Hocklitz was a training partner in the hammer throw. So it was like, what? A, yeah, what? What? What event and what type of Olympian would you like to model your uh, training after? Because it was like 
not not only one. It was like, do you do you want to watch Adam train? You want to watch Reese train? We're gonna watch both train. We're gonna take notes on both. We're gonna see how they do this, how they do that. So, um, and then our strength coach is the one that really held it all together. Rob McIntyre. He's he's the guy behind the curtain. He um, works with John Cena. They're okay. like they're like best buds. They went to boarding school together. He runs a gym down in Florida now that's kind of caters to the WWE guys. Okay. But he was our strength coach. And, you know, maybe it was a different time or whatever, but we, we it was very organic and you know, we hung out a lot. You know, we went to his house after hours and we cooked meals and we <clears throat> delved into, you know, you know, iron game, you know, anything that we could. So it was just, you know, hanging out and just being, you know, geeks about it. So Rob really helped a lot, um, and then obviously Coach Babbitt is the manager. He was the one kind of puppeteering all of these players in the in the scene, and and you know technical models, programming, management. Obviously, there's a lot of different hats that you wear as an NCAA coach, and uh, Don did that really well. You know, he he you know keep it pretty light, keep it pretty easy. It's relatively simple training. You know, nuts nuts and bolts. Um, you know, throw specific strength plyos. You know, pretty simple throughout the year. And I I, I was kind of bouncing around with all three events: shot, disc, hammer. Okay. I think Don looked at hammer as being my upside. Discus was kind of like quote unquote good already. So we just kind of kept it there, you know, keep it right around 56 meters. You can always go out through 180. That's going to make a final. Right. Wait till we get out west and try to throw a little further. Kind of, you know, that seemed like the game plan. But the hammer was one of those things where I came in and I was like, I had three turned. I had four turned with a heel. I had four turned with a toe. I'd tried all the different options. So I think he wanted to really solidify that. Okay, let's get in. Let's figure out. I remember within our first month, uh, He's talking about the entry and the start, and I basically was saying, yeah, you know, I, I, I have toe turned, but I don't quite know how to do it. Um, so, you know, we go through, we talk about it in practice, and he says, all right, so basically uh, for the next, you know, year or two, this is what you're going to be working on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just blown away that it was, that a, a, that simple. And like, yeah, like, don't, don't chase squirrels. Like, that's, it's, don't look for the next thing. Like, this is what you need to work on. From, you know, the second line to double support in one. So don't look at this guy or look at that guy or, or change things around. And that was kind of cool. It, that was the first time I'd heard that type of coaching. Right. And so I was like, okay, so basically just clock in, go to work, focus on that thing, and then don't stress out about turns two, three, four if they're off because one was off. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, so he was good with that. He helped, uh, you know, kind of manage um, what I was doing. And, and, you know, it was really exciting to go from, a four-year to a two-year where you feel like, okay, I failed out of the big leagues, and then you get a chance to go back to a four-year, so I had a healthy trip on both shoulders, and, um, you know, I just felt like my junior year, I, I was out to prove a lot of things to myself and to others, <clears throat> and um, that was a, a really good season, I think, you know, there's a, a lot of wins, a lot of personal bests and stuff along the way, and it was first time in the SEC, so going to different tracks and different venues and competing against different people. And then uh, NCAAs culminated in uh, Sacramento, so it was like a homecoming to me to go back to Northern California, um, and you know went out there and set a lifetime best in the hammer and and won the title, and uh, came back the second day and <laughs> tried to tried to throw the discus with whatever energy I had left. Right. And uh, I don't even remember how that went. I may have made the final. I think that was about it. I remember Gabor 
Mate of Auburn uh, was meant to win that thing, and I believe that went south. Uh, yeah, that was. That, I think there was a team title involved. I'd have to check the records on that. <laughs> but yeah, that's a. Uh, you know, that's Georgia was a special time, and I really wish that you know, like, there could be a tremendous documentary done on that time. Like well, Bert, Bert Soren was up the road; he came down and trained a lot. Jay Harvard was there. There's you know some some dudes that you know around my era or in between yours and mine, like right. people that definitely mattered in the sport. Maybe didn't make teams, but like all of the work that was done and all the relationships that were you know had in between were. Are, are long lasting and are, are things that are <clears throat> we're seeing you know have a ripple effect in the sport now right and i just remember i want to throw this in is that you know i was a frequent uh person on the the ring on the forum the ring and oh yeah you're taking it back yeah i just remember like sitting there like what what's going on down there like reading about yeah. reese like eating you know 30 donuts in 10 minutes yes. or something. And then, yes yes Bro, Greer's, like, just stories, like, all the time getting put on the ring and, like, looking at it now. Some if, tremendous stuff went down. Right. Imagine if there was Instagram back then Holy or, or YouTube or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, I, and, and I don't, you, you wonder, like, would the, would the behavior change? Right. You know, right. if you knew that someone's phone could record all this and have it uploaded <laughs> within, you know, the day. But I think that was good because, you know, you're a little bit more free to do those types of things. And when yeah. you're around a bunch of guys that are alphas and like, you know, it's, it's always one, um, one upsmanships, you know, yeah. even like we would have, let's say traditionally overhead back shot puts on Fridays, you know, that became like, all right, bet, 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 like left and right. It was always a wager of some sort. And it was like all by the smoothie or you buy the smoothie, you buy the coffee or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just those little things would turn into something else. And then, uh, so the gallon milk challenge is one of the probably most epic weekends that we had there. We had a, um, a visit on campus that was a, a top female recruit. And um, we had been joking about the gallon milk challenge. And we're like, no, it's folklore. No, anyone could do it. No, you couldn't do it. And then all, this, all the talking goes back and forth. My roommate, Chad Goddard, who uh, transferred from North Idaho College, he's a Georgia boy, has, has just like a steel stomach. So he, everyone was looking at Chad like he, he could do it without no, no question. And then the bet was everyone else. So we had, we had the host over. Um, Cantwell was there. Reese was there. I, I think Adam stopped by for a bit, but he wasn't really in. I don't know if he consumed the milk or not. Um, bro, bro, bro was definitely there and... And projectile vomited. Um, oh god! Yeah. So I mean, we 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 set up the whole scene. It was great. This was kind of in the jackass era of MTV. Oh yeah. You know, so that was kind of a, a slight influence where, like, you know, oh, if we're gonna do something, like someone's gonna do something wacky or like or something fun, and kind of see what happens. But yeah, we did a gallon milk challenge. We did a Krispy Kreme donut eating contests. Uh, we did a number of different, you know wager type food activities and or just you know like like i said overhead shot standing long jump whatever uh contest all the time it i feel like that's, that's classic thrower we did yeah overhead uh throw throwing the shot back overhead <laughs> and donut eating contest <laughs> they just if you don't know you you'll never know but like the people that know know that those two things go together yeah yeah exactly, exactly. it's fine it's fine so 
you sort of you know you graduate from from Georgia. You're you're uh, an NCAA champ, and right. you know you're sort of looking for this home post collegiately training wise. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a little tougher than it is now. Still tough, but yeah, in '03, it was it was pretty tricky. And you ended up training with Stuart Toger, correct? So, yeah, I bounced around for a few years. You know, you finish school. I did train with Stuart eventually. Uh, Stuart has always kind of been an influence. He was Lance Deal's coach. We had visited Lance after my first year at Ironwood Camp. And whenever we were in Eugene, it was like, would you please coach me for a session? You know, you would just ask or, hey, is anyone training? Can we be there? Right. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I was taking training. Uh, I think I Jake Freeman and I, Jake's from Rhode Island, went to Manhattan College. He was basically my college nemesis and always like right ahead of me or, or at. And then, you know, enemies become frenemies, become friends. So, they, you know, we, we started training together a little more often and would always hang out at meets. Um, same with kind of Kidboy as well. So we would take some training trips up there, uh, you know, go train for a short week, um, go back to work, that type of thing, uh, on and off for a few years. Um, eventually after, uh, after college, I, I moved around a little bit, tried to find some support. The Shore Athletic Club, um, yeah. gave me some support, um, you know, a few, a few hotel rooms at USA's, this and that. I mean, you're in the game now, you know how difficult it is to create a club, yeah. find the funding, what, what jerseys can we wear? What can't we wear? Like all the BS that myself and Nick Simmons and people started going through in 12 trying to figure out well how, how can I how can I create small level sponsorships and also and have it be approved by the USATF yeah right if I can't put it on my jersey for the 30 seconds uh, time slot that I do get um, how, how, how am I going to help you know support those companies that are you know that are paying, pay, you, yeah, yeah. paying my air flight or whatever it is so right. Uh, definitely uh, easier game now to kind of win at because of social media, because of websites, because you can put all of that stuff on your, you know, Instagram on the daily, on your Twitter, you know, on the daily. And then <clears throat> obviously the singlet issue is, you know, what one little thing that you have to deal with. But for the most part, it's gotten a lot better. So, yeah, the support uh, post-collegiately, I, I naively, I figured, cool, so... I'm an NCAA athlete. My goal is to win. If I win, I should be taken care of, right? So you sit around for those first two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, and and, and Nike doesn't call, shockingly. And then you figure, okay, maybe I should take some more hours at my job because I got I got to pay for this habit that I'm into, and you know that that goes on for a few years, and you throw the same distances, which is quite an accomplishment, really, because you're. Now, not in school, not resting all day. You're actually working and still you trying to train. dining commons. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're, yeah, you're cooking food, all these things that you've seen. So, um, But, yeah, the, the coaches that – it's it's not a sob story by any means. I mean, if you throw 78 meters, things seem to take care of themselves. And I never did that. So, you know, by being a, a, a junior varsity uh, professional thrower, whatever you'd like to call it, semi-pro thrower, for a long time, uh, I think all I did is just set up my coaching career, right? Because you know you're you're going to you're, you're spending as much time as you can at the track and in the weight room because that's free. Yeah, you know. So um, Dan Lang at USC, my father, 
um, all the way through my kind of high school career into college every time I'd come home. And then I went to Babbitt. And then from Babbitt, I got kind of connected to Lance and Stewart. So Lance is more of a mentor than a technical coach. Uh, I could ask him at times, what, what, is, what does Stewart mean by this? And he could help identify, you know, maybe in more technical or logical <laughs> concepts, what, what that is. But yeah, I trained a steward for two years um, in Eugene, and I think there's a YouTube video floating around somewhere that got posted a few years back that's uh, it's like three or four days of training. It's funny, I've heard more from current athletes in the NCAA, like three or four kids, five kids that have said, oh my gosh, that video was awesome. We watch it and just, and just like die laughing because he's, you could hear the frustration yeah, yeah. In Stewart's voice, and he's hollering, you know, 180 or this or that. No, I never told you to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, his passion for the event, you know, obviously is probably shown best through Lance, you know, his his star pupil. But outside of that, there's a lot of dudes that he coached um, halftime, you know, or, you know, from time to time or six months here. Uh, he worked with Kevin McMahon, who was our. Uh, you know, pound for pound, probably the best aimer throw in the U.S., our second best, um, arguably. And then he worked with Koji, worked with James Parker. So our, our last three uh, outside of uh, Kibway, maybe being a little bit younger than James, you know, uh, Stuart worked with all of those hammer throwers. So he got my technique really, really nice looking in 2012. I'm, I'm really happy with how it looked. Uh, as a coach, I can look at it now a few years later and be like, well, great, that's that's a really pretty drill, but there's not enough power, there's not enough horsepower happening, so it doesn't matter if it looks pretty if the ball's not moving fast. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. I, uh, you know, I visited Oregon once out of high school. I visited Oregon again out of junior college, and that was always kind of my dream school. It seemed to fit me as a person, and, you know, I had Prefontaine posters on my wall growing up, and I was a bit of a rebel, so I was like, this is totally my school. And uh, at the time, they had a multi-coach, and then the second time around, they were going to maybe hire Lance, and then it looked like they probably weren't, um, and so I had to take a hard pass on that. Obviously, that was for the, you know, for the better, uh, right. going to Georgia and being uh, around all of those great throwers and different personalities was cool, um, and very beneficial, you know, down the road to uh, just pay attention and, you know, take notes and kind of set up the coaching uh career like like i said earlier yeah so that's that's where i want to go now is that if we sit here and and you, you started a d3 school then you you get to southeastern louisiana where you worked with uh, alex young for a little bit there and he's you know developed into an ncaa champ and you know just through 76 meters in the hammer yeah he's on fire yeah and then uh you get the job at oklahoma state where you get chase ely to go mid 18 in the shot and uh nick miller wins the ncaa title and then you sort of you know you, you leave oklahoma state and you get this job at penn state now and that's what that's where sort of where i want to go into now is like i'm sitting here and i'm looking at the list you got an ncaa champion in the weight with david lucas you got uh, morgan shigo who threw 71 meters in the hammer and he's a junior. Um, you got three guys that qualified in Javelin and are all Americans last year, or two of them I think were all Americans. Um, you got a shot putter, it's a 19 meter shot putter. So I'm sitting here going like, like you've got every every event covered basically. And it's like, 
I'm going through as we're talking. You got Dan Lang, you got your dad, you got Babbitt, Stuart Toger, Lance, uh, Rob McIntyre, the whole slew of Olympians, and it's like you know how do you how do you sit there now as as an individual and as a coach, and how do you take that you know the manager role that Don Babbitt sort of showed you, or the Mm-hmm. The the training that Rob McIntyre has, or and and all these things, like how do you piece that together now at Penn State here, and 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 I guess, you know, what are the technical models you're using, and and, and I really want to dive into your, you know, McKay's training system. You know, like, yeah, what right, is it? right, right. It's funny. I've been <clears throat> talking to my wife a lot about it, I, and I always say, man, I wish I was more organized. I wish I could say like. I wish I could do kind of what uh, Arite is doing, uh, Eric Johnson, and and like put it in bullet form. And I think that's something that I'm always going to want to do, but I may never accomplish it because I think there's a few different types of coaches and like we'll call one of them uh, the baker and the other version would be like the chef. And I'm way more of a chef than a baker because the baking is science and very you know particular timing and 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 whereas the chef also is going to use a bit of science as well we know that you know onions don't go well with cereal but um (laughs) you can also use some artistry you know in in that side of things so i'm far more of an artist than a scientist when it comes to coaching um although if you're not paying attention attention to science you're probably not that successful of a coach um so I try to kind of blend those two. Um, like I said, you know, just being around all those people throughout the years, you know, if you're just paying attention and maybe have your, you know, not the strongest ego around, or I don't think maybe there is a right answer to every question, you know, uh, a six foot five guy with a seven foot wingspan maybe throws a lot different than your five ten guy with you know a really strong deadlift and like T Rex arms. Right. So and you know those are kind of two of the body types that you know I work with now. So um, yeah, I don't know. I I thought <clears throat> when I was at Georgia, I remember making like a conscious decision that like okay, I throw shot disc and hammer, so I feel pretty you know aware of those. Uh, but I was thinking that if I'm going to coach, javelin's going to be my weak point. I don't want to have a weakness, so I better start hanging out at jab practice. So it was pretty nice to have Bro Greer around and Mike Hazel and Trevor Snyder and Krista Woodward. Um, And so I just went to a lot of practices and hung around and watched those things. And it's so different. You know, you train basically as a jumper and you do a lot of other stuff besides throwing. And then, you know, a fair bit of throwing a certain time of year. So that, that you know, just that there. And if I had not known that and I treated them like shot putters, you know, probably wouldn't have much success there. Right. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think it was good. Uh, you know, I coached three years of high school before I got uh, the job at Cal Lutheran. And Cal Lutheran was, you know, a perfect, perfect internship level type job because it's Division three. You know, you're not you're not in a high risk environment. There's a lot of parents at meets. You're making PB and J, you know, in between events. No one's on scholarship. Like it's right. all good. So you can kind of create this cool team environment and <clears throat> have some success just by being technically, you know, proficient and and creating a, a kind of a championship level environment. And and we did that there and coached Eric Flores to 70 meters in the in the hammer, which was like super cool on the D3 front. 
Um, Absolutely. Got to meet some of those, um, you know, Midwest D3 schools, the Mount Unions and, and, and things along the way. So that, that was good. It was really good too. And then I was coaching Jav for the first time, like really coaching Jav. So I was super nervous about that. And it was, you know, the biggest thing is keeping people healthy and, and then just trial and error. Um, so I try to look at, I guess, you know, I'm pretty big in the Olympic lifts. Um, I do think specific strength is probably the most, if not second most important thing, you know, outside of the throw. So we throw a lot. We do a fair amount of specific strength. Um, I'd say the majority, if you wanted to classify the lifting, it'd be Olympic um, with, you know, some powerlifting in there and, you know, different phases throughout the eight, nine months. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we run, we jump. Um, but then the other thing is, I, I don't know, we kind of pay attention to it. So my wife is a physical therapist. And so I've always, like after college, um, I, like I didn't have insurance for three, four years. So I just tried to really take care of my body. And so a lot of mobility and um, flexibility uh, stuff just kind of came naturally, I guess. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I think I just kind of tripped and fell into that. Um, but the amount of injury prevention and, you know, range of motion and things that, that we can fix with the traditional college kid that doesn't ever stretch. Um, so I'm kind of a stickler on that. Um, um, I'll create some different warm ups and different prehab rehab schemes um, for them based off of their limitations and where they want to get better. And then, you know, if the kids buy into that, then obviously, okay, look, I can squat deeper. My knees don't hurt as much. My glutes are actually firing. Uh, you know, my, my, my hip doesn't hurt as much. My my back doesn't hurt as much with, uh, you know, with, with the discus or, or hammer throw. And then, you know, we try to be just really consistent with the technique. And I try to define what we're trying to accomplish with each person early on and then not chase rabbits after that. You know, just stay on that path. Right. Yeah, I think that that's that's sort of where I want to ask. Well, I, I mean, I got a lot of questions, especially regarding the lifting part. But I want to mm-hmm. first just ask, like, so you got David Lucas who wins an NCAA title on the weight and just drops monster bombs. And then you got Morgan Chigo, who's probably more of a hammer thrower. Yeah. I would say he's more of a hammer thrower. And it's For like, sure. does, does that, you know, David's more of a discus thrower. Morgan's more of a, more of a hammer thrower. Does that change the entire approach to training and, and, you know, as far as how they're lifting and all that stuff, or is the approach yeah. pretty much the same or? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, they, they lift differently. Um, actually right now, Dave and Morgan are on the same lift, but they have a different, uh, lifting protocol than we basically have four, four programs, uh, running right now. So I have like 14 throwers, um, six in the jab and then the others are throughout kind of the heavy events and so we kind of have a, a shot centric um program and then we kind of have a hammer centric program we have a little bit of a discus program but you know in the david's not just a discus thrower he also throws you know hammer over 60 meters and the shots on the back burner right now but that'll come back next year so it's you know you kind of have to be a little bit in the gray like okay we're gonna we're not going to bench a whole bunch with the shot putters, but I also want some upper back strength to, you know, kind of balance out the, the front. So, 
Um, they're both on a similar program. Um, the biggest thing that changed once I got to Penn State, so I, Kim Davidson is our strength and conditioning coach. He's uh, works with hockey as well, and then he's been with track and field for um, the longest run here of all the strength coaches. So when Ryan Whiting moved back to PA to be home for a few years, he, he worked with Cam, and I remember seeing a lot of his lifting videos. And then I met Cam, and I was like, oh, definitely Olympic lifter. You can just see it in his shape. And he competed up until a few years ago, but he's got two kids now. So I get to work closely with him. And, um, <clears throat> I've, you know, we try to kind of figure out what have you done, what do you want to do, what, you know, what, what limitations does Morgan have, what do we want to increase. So like with Morgan this last year, we wanted to increase his pulling power and his front squat and just his general stability and like anti-rotational strength. So that has come up a lot. Uh, his front squat is much stronger and his his clean, we're doing some rhythm stuff now. We haven't done rhythm stuff before in the, in the pulls. And um, so yeah, he's just getting a lot stronger. So as did much as- front squat, Did he front squat 500? Yeah, That's yeah. Yeah, and, and Dave did as well. I think he nearly passed out doing it, but that was yeah. just, that was just, <laughs> kind of forgetting to take that breath at the top type of thing. Um, and he's moving it a long ways too. Dave's pretty uh, long levered, yeah. but yeah, Morgan's built for that. Obviously yeah. you got, you know, you guys created a good foundation with him and he understands why the weight earn is important. And he's kind of built to move like that. He's, he's pretty conservative when it comes to, you know, high risk stuff, but you know, he knows he could pull, you know, one one forty and catch it like all the time. So yeah, that's kind of like where we need to be. So with him, it's helped him. We're always going to try to be in good positions and be moving the ball well. But if you are out of position a little bit, it doesn't hurt to have a bigger motor. Yeah, I guess that's that's my question with Morgan. Is I remember, you know, just when you and I were talking over the winter time at some mm -hmm. point, I remember you saying like, I'm, "I just need Morgan to make like one or two technical corrections," and he's he's not doing it. And now <clears throat> I'm sitting here, and you know, he goes sixty eight. And then two weeks later, he goes 71. 70, 71, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, holy shit. Like, dude, this, that's like, now he's starting to be legit. Yeah. Like, like he could, he's going to be a world-class hammer thrower. And I, and I think, I think he could be the best hammer thrower in the U.S. Uh, maybe he and, he and Alex Young in the yeah. next couple of years. It's yeah. like, yeah, especially with you as his coach, I'm sitting there going, did he make those changes or is it the strength stuff? Is he starting yeah. to comprehend? So, I yeah, he, he, I have challenged him. And as you know, you coach him in high school, like getting him to, to, to do something like that, you got to kind of make it his idea. So there has been a, a little technical change. We're working on some stuff, just like Don said with me, working on some stuff in the wine and the injury. Yep. And he, I was trying to get the same point across, you know, and I said it this way, that way, the other way. And, you know, we just got into a conversation about it. And I said, well, you know, because Morgan basically doesn't like to drill. So when I ask him to drill, you know, you know, stand there and make sure that, and I kind of ask him to use his words. And he actually figured out something in the wind and he said it a different way than I had been presenting yeah. it. And, and like to him, he was like, Oh, Oh, I get that now. You know, and you're putting your, your palm on your forehead being like, okay, awesome. Whatever, man. <laughs> at least we got it. I'm yeah. pissed off at myself. I'm the worst coach ever. Cause I couldn't figure out how to say that, but he figured it out and it smooths some things out. Yeah. And now we're like two weeks after that. 
and things are getting a lot more smooth. Therefore, you can accelerate better in you know the latter turns. Yeah, and that, I, I th- that resulted in seventy and seventy one. I was like, okay, well, I guess uh, I guess we're gonna run with that. Yeah, and and I think that's something that every coach struggles with. Is it's like it's so easy for us to get so caught up in the weight room and the numbers we're seeing, you know, pulling wise or yeah. cleaning or snatching or or whatever it is. Sure. And to get them, from my perspective, it's like it's so hard to get an individual to be like, look, the technique is the most important aspect of throwing. Absolutely. And, and if you, when you fully buy into the technical change, the weights we're doing in the weight room are going to transfer better. And I, I think yeah. that that's like, that's where it's my question to you, especially because you've got kids, you know, 18 to 24. I think that's the biggest meathead. Yeah. living you know it's yeah. like how how can you how can you get them to comprehend that the technical side is that that important is important yeah so um i mean i think all my kids would say oh like coach okay super laid back he's a california guy like that's kind of the knock or you know the the tagline on me but i really am kind of a stickler on the technique and so when it comes to that, that's where like, you know, the football coach comes out or, you know, the, the more aggressive, um, poignant coaching comes out is in, in those scenarios just to show the passion behind it and show the importance. And then I'll, you know, to just try to talk logically about it and say, okay, like, are you stronger on one leg than two? And like, if you, if you over rotate out of the back and your, you know, your torso is dumping into the middle, like how are you going to get back on balance on the right? And they'll just, kind of logically talk through things or try to quiz them. And if they have an answer or they have a theory, you know, sometimes I'll let them run with it. And I don't know. I'm like, Hey man, you know, if anyone's figured out how to, you know, beat this gravity thing, let me know. Cause we can, we can save a lot of time um, or, you know, or whatever. So I try to get the kids involved in their own development because they're the ones that are in the circle. They're the ones throwing it um, when it comes down to it. So, um, I, I do give everyone a, 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 you know, a big heads up and say, okay, I'm, I'm technique first, technique first, technique yeah. first. And I think, you know, if with a blind eye, if you go to a meet and see a bunch of Penn State throwers, for the most part, like we're not the biggest, strongest group out there. Um, but you'll see some, I think, pretty good, at least attempts at, at technique, you know, and then like, Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's relatively strong or he's strong enough. You know, that type of thing obviously helps it out. So right. yeah, it's technique first and getting buy-in from the athletes is the most important part. I think, um, you know, cause if they're telling you yes, but they secretly think no, then you're going to see that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to get into, I mean, a little bit where, like, when you're doing the O-lifts, are you doing full Olympic lifts? Are you doing partial movements? Are you doing both? Or... Yeah, we do everything. We okay. go uh, off the floor full. We go off the floor power. Uh, we go hang power, hang full, off blocks. Um, we do uh, partials. We'll do mid-shin, above the knee. Um, haven't got into much high hang yet, but this is year two, so I think it's kind of a skill development thing. Um, starting to put in some rhythm stuff, which we didn't do last year, uh, for, for some of the guys. Um, and then like in the javelin, uh, we trained some split, um, split feet in, in the presses and the poles. 
um, just to kind of work unilaterally and not get that imbalance going. Um, right. Yeah, and then we uh, are just investing in some jerk blocks because I've got a bunch of shot putters here that aren't as strong as I'd like them to be. So we're going to really work this off season and into the fall on pressing more frequently, um, you know, benching, jerking, push press, etc. So I may be I may be in your gym a little more often this summer getting notes oh, on good. that. Oh, yeah. good, good, good. All right, so if we get into like the 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 weights, or the the implements that you're using, are you always using the competitive weights, or are you going to be using you know heavy and light, or or what? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I use all, all weights for sure. Um, definitely in the um, shot, I'll go. We've thrown a nine k this year from a stand and like a like a, a walking put. Uh, 18, um, 16, 14, 6K uh, is what we're kind of currently working through. And then, you know, it depends. Like, I got a fifth year senior, and then I've got like juniors, I got sophomores, I've got Richard freshmen, and then I have true freshmen. So their, their weight schemes are all a little bit different. Uh, in the hammer throw, we definitely train on the heavier side. And, but I really want to get away from that. The heavier side just helps kind of set the technique uh, in, in basic terms. You can't get away with stuff with a, a 20 or an 18 or, uh, you know, a 25-pound plate on a chain or something like that. Um, but I will try to kind of throw some unorthodox stuff in there as well just to keep them guessing and keep them trying to find balance all the time because uh, I think that's valuable. Um, I'd like to be – I would love to – and I think that's what I'm going to do with my with this freshman class, is is start them a little bit lighter. That's the issue with the NCA system, right? The kids go from throwing the 12 pound ball, and they come in, and then your first, you know, in hammer sense, your first season is is indoors, which is now 35 pounds, and you're just going to get smashed. Oh, yeah. You probably, even if you have great technique and you threw the 20 pound weight relatively far, that probably not going to be able to throw the 35 the same way. So, uh, you know, the theory of getting something to go 80 meters, 70 meters, getting something to go far first and then working back heavier from there, um, is, is ideally what I'd like to do. But like last year being my first year here, you know, establishing kind of a technical model. Now you're in year two. Now I can start tapering down a little bit and not staying on the heavy ball as long. Um, so like right now, Morgan throws, uh, eight K 16, 14. Okay. And right now the 14 makes him look like a, a, a freshman, <laughs> but we're only <laughs> at like on our second session, second or third session with it. So, uh, we're just kind of getting into that season. We're just finishing up finals right now. So stress levels are high. Sleep is low. Um, we got a home meet this Friday, then Big Ten's next week, and then it's like one on, one off through June. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's kind of plenty of time for that. Uh, but, yeah, I like overweight. I do always keep in touch with the competition implement. Um, but I think there's more to be said for the, for the lighter weights. But I think you have to be pretty technically proficient and understand what you're trying to accomplish and be able to do the same movement and feel less, you know, with the, with the lighter stuff, you know, discus included and, hard, yeah yeah and, and same with the jabs absolutely all right so before we leave i want to do this sort of lame drill but i want to know if so with each 
which with each throw, I want you to give me three people that are like your favorite technical models. So for javelin, oh, that's... you know, so give me three <clears throat> three guys that you'll or or women that you'll sit there and be like, all right, these three people are who we who I like to use as my technical model in javelin. Oh, that's good. I like that. Um, okay, they might not be. I don't know. Uh, I'll just pick favorites. I like. Okay. Um, Let's let's start. We'll go light to heavy. Uh, in the javelin, I really like Pikamaki. Um, right now, Roller is very very sound, and he just seems like a gentleman. Seems really cool. Um, and then, gosh, there's a handful. You know whose whose technique I've watched a lot and I really like, and who's been a mentor is Duncan Atwood. Okay. Uh, hard to find footage of him, but he threw a bunch of different ways, super smooth. And that guy's, he's 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 one of my favorites. Um, and then discus, uh, man, I I would be hard pressed to not say that I tried to copy Mac Wilkins' technique to a T in high school and even into college. Um, and then I realized, you know, maybe you know, not the same strength numbers, not the same leverage, um, maybe not as long a double support as maybe would have helped me throw further, but it didn't change the fact that I was still in love with the movement yeah. and just the fluidity of his throw. Uh, Wolfgang Schmidt was probably those the combination of Wolfgang and Mac Wilkins is what you know I would like to I'd like to see. I really love them, but moving into the newer era with Gerd Cantor. Um, Alekna, um, and some of the longer, more double support, more vertical axis type throwers where they weren't getting the bigger lean and long kind of jumping reverse, I think is definitely where the, where the discus is going. Um, most recently I saw Esan Hadadi throw live in San Diego and definitely fanboying him. Uh, yeah. I really like his technique. He's working with Mac Wilkins right now. Um, really long right side orbit, and he's just a performer and kind of a you know, I think he's a performer. I, I really liked watching him. Um, so yeah, we're we're kind of keen on him right now as well. Um, shot put, man, there's so many different things going on in the shot right now. All right, so we had a little bit of technical difficulties there with Lucas as he was finishing up that drill with the uh, the top top technical models for the shot so we got we got his comments with reese hoffa tom walsh we got ryan krauser thrown in there and then he threw in he just texted me he threw in ulf timmerman for the glide so of course those are some really top-notch uh, technical models in the throws and then when i i messaged him about this the hammer throw and who who are his top three technical models for the hammer throw he said nick miller ncaa champ from uh, oklahoma state that he had worked with Kevin McMahon and Koji Murafushi, who I was fortunate enough to have some of my athletes meet him uh, this past summer. So Lucas is a throws coach at Penn State. He's one of the best throws coaches in the U.S. He's an up-and-comer. He's, you know, I, I wouldn't even say he's an up-and-comer anymore. He's sort of established now with the number of All-Americans and, and NCAA champs that he's already coached. And he's you know, still not even 40 years old. He's going to be – I think he's going to be – he's sort of cementing himself as like – possibly top five you know throws coaches in the u.s right now and i think that, that, that we're going to see that sort of hold true over the next you know few decades because he's got a long career ahead of him so it was awesome having lucas on the on the podcast and i look forward to 
to hanging out with him at, at some future Penn State meets. So, Lucas, thanks a lot for being on Dane's platform. Peace.